Thank you for joining us on Bees on the Law, legal talk from the boss perspective. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal advice and is not meant to create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change and differ from state to state, so this is not a substitute for seeking legal advice in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. I'm Camille Canale, the California Bee. And I'm Susan Dawson, the Illinois and Wisconsin Bee. And today we have a guest that I've been trying to have on for a really long time. Her name's Kelby Accardi Harrison, and she is the former head of the LGBTQ Resource Center at USC. She's also a professor of philosophy and religion at Hutchinson Community College. She has a PhD in ethics, gender, and sexuality, and has written on this subject. She's the author of Sexual Deceit, which is a book that deals with LGBTQ identities. And so obviously, if you hadn't guessed already, this episode is about inclusivity in the workplace and why it's important. Um, These issues uh, have been very prevalent in California for a long time, but they are becoming more and more prevalent um, throughout the United States as employers have to adapt um, to really cover multiple genders and gender identities. And so why is inclusivity in the workplace important, Kelby? Well, we can look at it from a business standpoint. There was a McKinsey and Company report in 2020 that demonstrated that diverse organizations outperform less diverse competitors in revenue, profits, and employee satisfaction. Uh, If someone feels included in their workplace, if they feel like they can bring their whole self to work, they're going to work harder for the company. They're going to be more committed to it and stay for a longer period of time. So you'll have increased creativity and better teamwork. So in general, it serves every kind of business uh, outcome that you might have. And it's also the right thing to do. It's also the ethical thing to do. Right. And so I know one of the things that is confusing to many people, especially people who have not addressed this is we have new terms and a lot of people have them on their email tags now. And you see um, she, her, she, his, um, they, them. Can you explain a little bit about what those mean? Yes, definitely. Uh, So we can start with some gender identity terms uh, in terms of looking at the LGBTQ community more broadly. I think it's best to start with cisgender. So If you have never heard of the word cisgender before, uh, you are probably cisgender, which is exciting because that gives you um, a position in the conversation. So if you're cisgender, that means whatever sex you were designated at birth, uh, you still identify within that gender range. So if you were designated male at birth, you still identify as a boy, a man. Uh, If you're designated female at birth, you still identify as a woman. Um, If you're a transgender, the sex you were designated at birth is no longer what you identify with, which could mean that you identify as, let's say, non-binary. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, Or if you were designated male at birth, perhaps now you identify as female or as a woman. Um, Or if you were designated female at birth, perhaps now you identify as a man. Um, So when people put their pronouns on their signatures in their emails, um, that is a quick and I think very important way that you can demonstrate that you are aware of gender identity and that you're aware that the appearance of a name 
or the appearance of a particular gender expression may not be how somebody identifies or prefers to be identified as. Um, I can easily use my example. My first name is Kelby. That's a gender neutral name. Um, I sometimes get male as Mr. Kelby, sometimes as Mrs., sometimes as Miss. Um, if I put my gender pronouns on my email, I'm helping to establish how I personally identify. Um, it's also a way of showing that you are aware of trans identities and that you understand that she and he are not the only options on the table and that they may not match up with how you might quickly categorize somebody. So let's go back to non-binary and they and them. Um, so non-binary gender identities say that somebody is neither male nor female. Uh, it can capture a variety of, of identities, maybe trans-masculine, maybe somebody is a little bit more towards a masculine side, even though they were designated female at birth, but they don't quite identify as a man. It could mean that somebody is gender non-conforming. It could mean that somebody just doesn't like the system of binary gender. It doesn't reflect who they are. Um, and that's a non-binary identity. And for a number of years, um, non-binary identities and gender non-conforming folks used a variety of pronouns to capture that experience of being neither male nor female exclusively. Um, and in recent years, it's really settled primarily to they and them, which wonderfully we already use in our English language. Um, it's kind of a shorthand. If we don't know, for example, that somebody left a bag in the room, we don't know who it belongs to. Um, we might say, does anybody know um, whose bag that is? Um, did they leave it here? So we might already refer to somebody who um, could be male or female, either, neither, um, using they, them pronouns. So it's, a, it's an easy way to use the English language to capture that gender space. Oh, that's, um, that's really great. And what about people who are agender, which is also something that we're hearing more about, who don't identify either as male or female? is what my understanding is of that, but I'm sure you have the more technical definition. <laughs> um, it has been my experience in working with people all along the gender spectrum that if you engage them respectfully and thoughtfully in uh, their experience of gender, they will explain to you the nuances of it if they feel safe enough, which is, can be a wonderful experience. But agender um, is an identity of not feeling male, female, necessarily non-binary, that gender is not a referential term for them and their identity. Um, their pronouns could be they or them. It could be a, a variety of pronouns that they might choose, Z or Zier. Um, I had a former student who used it and its as a preferred way. Um, so it is about using the pronouns that somebody asks you to use for them. That is the respectful engagement. Ah, um, and then there's sometimes the category of she and they, or he and they, sometimes that'll be a common marker that people put on their pronoun um, list. And that could be a variety of relationships to gender identity. Somebody could be cisgender and feel that um, they're not committed to a particular gender position or that they're comfortable being um, referred to with more gender neutral pronouns. Um, I am comfortable with she and they. Um, it could also mean that somebody is in transition from more traditional gender pronouns into non-binary pronouns. Um, I've heard folks also say that it helps to identify themselves with non-binary pronouns, but 
to still make more room and flexibility for folks who um, have a difficult time onboarding to that. So it's kind of a, um, it doesn't trigger me if you call me she, but I prefer they. I've also heard it done or communicated that way. Um, so if somebody identifies as she or they or he or they, I saying ask a question. Can you tell me more about your pronouns and and how should I use them or how would you prefer I use she versus they uh, in conversation with you? So that's great. That's a lot of um, for for companies and businesses that aren't already practicing. That's a lot of information, right? You know, mm -hmm. a lot to keep straight and um, and especially when you're changing the culture to start. Mm -hmm. Uh, being more inclusive and trying to promote the the pronoun use, um, it can be it can seem overwhelming, right? Do you have any suggestions for how to begin this process of trying to create a more gender inclusive business if you if you've not already started? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so encouraging people to use pronouns in their signature lines is a great first step. There are lots of websites out there that will explain the value of it that could be circulated amongst employees, um, why it's valuable to have their pronouns in their email signature. Um, and to not make it mandatory, but to encourage it. This is best practice. We would like to see this on everyone's um, email signature. That sets up a culture um, where it's more common to communicate your pronouns. Um, I would then make it a part of any meeting or any time people introduce themselves. So it's uh, introduce yourself, your pronouns, and the position you have with the company. So anytime that's appropriate, so it's not going to be at every 9 a.m. Monday morning meeting where you're seeing the same six people over and over again, but anytime you're introducing yourself a new round to maybe a new employee or whatever to include pronouns in that introduction. Um, that just starts to create an environment where people get more comfortable talking about gender and gender identity. And they're pretty easy steps. So that's just two steps. Right. So I know we're going to dig into that more in a, in a in another podcast, but just to I just wanted to bring that concept in because what I hear a lot from businesses is um, I understand that you know they left their backpack is is common and accepted, but to use the phrase they in an, in a sentence where it is an individual reference can be uh, challenging to a lot of employers. It's just not, it doesn't flow naturally off the tongue, right? Um, I actually had a client who had an individual put a sign up um, referring to, if you have questions, ask this individual. And, you know, you know, and, and the, the way that it was phrased, it looked like it was grammatically incorrect. And they had um, clients coming into the office, think, you know, making comments about how the poster is wrong, right? So, you know, along those lines, um, is there more information like, a, uh, you know, that word they to try to, um, I don't know if it's to get more comfortable with it, but is there ways to kind of practice it and, and try to address that situation? Yes, absolutely. Um, with a little practice, it becomes a lot more natural. So um, literally a piece of advice I would give in trainings is to have um, like a fish in the office that has the pronouns they or them. Um, or you can call one of your pets at home, they or them for a few weeks. I promise they'll be fine with it. Just give them <laughs> that. They're not invested in their gender identity. Nope. Um, but it's really about just making those neural pathways a little bit more lubricated. Um, 
a little stuffed animal could also work. And you could refer to that stuffed animal as they and them, but just giving some practice in a low stakes environment. Um, I think it's also worth mentioning if you mess up somebody's pronouns, that can be a really anxiety inducing kind of moment. Um, and as long as it's not intentional and repetitive, there is no issue, discrimination issue in the workplace of messing up somebody's pronouns. But you can think of it as um, accidentally stepping on someone's toes. Like, you know, you didn't mean to do it. You know, it probably hurt a little bit. You're going to say, I'm sorry. But you're not going to make a huge deal out of it. And then you're going to try not to do it again. So you can correct right in the moment. You refer to somebody as she, and then you realize, no, they. Uh, you say, oh, they, so sorry. And then you can move on. Or however naturally you would make a small apology for a slight misstep. Um, and then it's just about practice. And if it finds that it's a real stumbling point, I really do recommend uh, a pet at home is a really good one because we really do gender our pets pretty intensely. Um, they're good boys. They're good girls. We talk about them a lot in gender ways. So switching to that neutral space um, really gives your brain that extra few seconds to get it right. That's awesome advice. And I think one of the things I know, Kelby, when we first met, one of the things that we had talked about is how the terminology for the LGBTQ community has changed over the years. And for example, when I was growing up, to use the word queer was generally considered to be very derogatory. At least that's what I was taught, whether it was right or wrong, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's a much more accepted term. And so I know one of the things that you told me is to just ask. Yes. How people, and, and I thought that was the best advice because not only does asking help you clarify how someone wants to be referred to, but it also starts the conversation. Absolutely. And shows that you have an interest in being a supportive ally. Um, so we did talk about the word queer. I think in the workplace, gay and lesbian are acceptable terms, LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQ+. Those are all fine, acceptable acronyms. Um, there is an age, usually kind of gap between folks who really like the word queer uh, versus people who that was used as derogatory on the playground when they were growing up and it's just too painful to reclaim. Uh, but engaging with people in an inclusive environment is finding out how they like to be referred to and then using the language that they prefer and paying attention to the nuances. So maybe you might say to um, a gay colleague, oh, how is your partner? And then they say back to you, oh, my husband is great. Well, then in the future, you should ask about your colleague's husband, not their partner. Um, so just mirroring back the language that people use for themselves. That's great advice. Kelby, we're going to have another episode that comes right after this one, a part two, where we're going to talk more about inclusivity in the workplace. But for today, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast of Bees on the Law. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. We also welcome any comments. If you'd like to get in touch with us or suggest a future topic, you can email us at beesonthelaw at gmail.com. And because we're lawyers, we need to remind you that this podcast is not meant to provide you with legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.